Uh, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Podcast. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you. And today we have our Friday recap of the week. There's, some, you know, there's a plethora of things we could talk about every single week, and I try to cherry pick the headlines that are interesting to me, things that are relevant in tech and culture and crypto and Web three and sometimes economics and politics and things that are kind of just, you know swishing around in my head and things I talk about on social, things I talk about on email, uh, you know, and just things are interesting too. It gives us a chance to kind of get, go through a grab bag of the week of what's going on and give some commentary. And this is also where I love to hear your feedback as well. Make sure you give me some feedback to the uh, current events we're talking about because it helps me to hone in on things that are most interesting to you and you can do that in our Discord. So if you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com, you can check out all the episodes that we're dropping. This is a daily show, as you know now, and we just changed over the website. So we're no longer hosting our episodes on Substack on the website. On the website, they're actually uh, hosted on our main site, which is newwaveentrepreneur.com. And uh, it's actually looking really clean, looking really nice. So go there and check it out. And uh, if you prefer to listen on Spotify or iTunes, of course, subscribe there, uh, like it there, give the show a, a, a you know a rating and a review and a comment there. We'll really appreciate it. It helps us to get better and better guests. And let's jump right into uh, this newscast today. Okay, guys. Now I'm going to jump into a bunch of different headlines. And I actually just uh, got sent something very interesting uh, just as I was starting the uh, the I guess the review of the day's information. And the first thing I'm seeing is coming out of I think it's called Zoshan Zoshan, or it could be Shaosan, uh, depending on how you would pronounce it. But it's Z H O U S H A N. So any of my uh, Chinese listeners, please give me the correct pronunciation for this. But uh, in the Chinese urban district, it seems that the apocalypse has begun. That's coming from uh, apoc- That's coming from from the anonymous Twitter account. But what they're talking about is a deep, deep crimson sky that is uh, hanging over this town um, in, in a really eerie, eerie, strange way. And this is coming out of now Newsweek, reading on uh, Newsweek's coverage of this. Over the past couple of days, several video clips and images have circulated on Twitter and other social media sites showing what appears to be a deep red-colored sky in the Chinese east city of Zhaoshan. One popular clip that has been shared by several people but appears to have originated from the Chinese social media website Weibo shows a view of the sky from a residential street. As people stand and talk, the camera pans across the sky showing a blood red color which appears to be brighter towards the horizon. And I'm looking at this right now. I'm going to send you guys the link or I'll put it in the comments or in, in the notes for this. This is the, the deepest red I've ever seen on a, on a quote natural sky. Now, there's actually... Some, some merit to my statement because here in Oregon, just under two years ago, we had an incredible series of forest fires, which culminated in, for a brief time, this area of the world having the worst air quality in the entire world. Uh, worse than even than even in Beijing, for instance, or in somewhere like uh, like Bombay, or I still call it Bombay or is it Mumbai now? But some some of the very heavily heavy populated cities, Oregon, uh, outranked them by double or triple their air quality index in the negative direction because we had so much uh, pollution from the massive forest fires that the skies looked like Blade Runner. I kid you not. It was a deep, deep orange and a black soot. So bad that we had to, at least for me, I evacuated. We were in Beaverton and we went over, we drove 
uh, about a day east to Idaho, which is the next state over. And geez, if I hadn't lived in Oregon, I would never know that Idaho was east of Oregon because these are states I hadn't thought about until until I moved here. But found myself in Idaho because the smoke was so bad. Now that was a couple of years ago, and I was I thought that was the worst I'd ever see it. And what I'm seeing here in uh, in this city in on the coast in China is just crazy horrendous. Now here's what's interesting about this and why I'm bringing it to your attention. Um, because as I was looking into this, it seems that at the very beginning of it, the state-controlled media said there was a fire, but that was a lie because there's no fire. Then they said, oh, okay, well, they're coming. it's coming from the lights on fishing boats, but locals are saying that there's not any lights coming from the port. And now state-controlled media is changing their, their, um, their reasoning again, and they're saying it's refraction from light. But if that was the case, this would happen probably more often, it seems. This wouldn't just be a random freak occurrence. So we're trying to figure out what is actually causing this incredibly intense uh, red. It, it looks it looks like like a volcano is erupting in the sky and it's coloring everything the color of hot magma. And so some theory is that this is the result of extreme climate control attempt or some sort of chemical spill. And one thing that is interesting to me is that I don't think there's really any government. You know, we could talk about how oh, the Chinese government's this or that, um, but I don't think there's any government that really tells you the truth. In fact, I was talking with this about friends recently. With friends recently, I haven't ever heard a politician say once in my life, "I'm wrong and I'm sorry," or "I was wrong and I'm sorry." I've never heard them say that. And it doesn't matter what party or what country. So, and we know even with what's what's gone on on in China over the past few years, you know, with there most likely being some sort of lab leak, there's not really a lot of forthcoming evidence or information from these bodies. But I'm going to show you this uh, this link. You can check it out in your in your free time when you have free time to browse and you want to look at this and it'll be in the show notes. And I want to hear from you. What do you think is causing this crazy intense sky? Okay, on to the next news bit. Okay, so we have some business news. Uh, this is coming from uh, Jalopnik. And this is actually, this is interesting. So the headline here says, Carvana lays off thousands of workers and then buys a car auction company for $2.2 billion on the same day. An estimated 2,500 Carvana employees will lose their jobs. So Carvana is a used car dealer uh, that was founded over a decade ago, and it's had really, really impressive growth. And, you know, just like with any any uh, business, especially now, uh, you know, they're going through some problems, and they said on Tuesday that they were going to lay off 2,500-plus employees. And they're also saying that their executives are going to go unpaid for the rest of the year, which I, I don't know how <laughs> executives will, are going to feel about that. Um, however, you know, despite the fact that they're making these quote, these right-sizing initiatives, they're also now looking to make a huge decision, which is a huge purchase. And it says here, um, on May 10th, 2022, uh, this is actually an official statement from, I think, the SEC. On May 10th, 2022, Carvana announced a workforce reduction of approximately 2,500 employees, primarily in operational groups, in connection with its previously announced plans to better align staffing and expense levels with sales volumes. All impacted team members will have the opportunity to receive four weeks of pay. Oh, wow. Plus an additional week for every year they've been with Carvana. Oh, so generous. I'm just injecting my commentary. <laughs> totally messing up the quote. Impacted team members will always will, will also have the opportunity to receive extended healthcare coverage, 
pay equal to early vesting of certain uh, previously granted equity awards, recruiting, recruiting and resume support, and continuing participation in certain other company programs. The executive team is foregoing their salaries for the remainder of the year to help contribute to the severance pay for departing members. I wonder what the real story is on that, on executives not receiving pay. I wonder if they're getting something on the back or if they're really going to stay if they're not getting paid. We believe that, continuing the quote now, we believe these decisions, while extremely difficult, will result in Carvana restoring a better balance between its sales volumes and staffing levels and facilitate Carvana returning to efficient growth on its mission to change the way people buy and sell cars. Now, let's look and see what they were actually doing with this purchase, though. It says, um, let's see, Carvana announced this morning that it will still pay $2.2 billion to acquire wholesaler uh, Odessa US, which operates 56 auction locations across the country. Now, looking more into that, and this is just happening now. So let's see. The transaction includes 56 uh, Odessa U.S. locations comprising of 6.5 million square feet of buildings, 4,000 plus acres. The online car seller uh, said the business will give it significant flexibility. So this is talking about Carvana. So Carvana says Odessa will give the business significant flexibility through a wide range of macroeconomic scenarios. Carvana founder and CEO Ernie Garcia, hey, minority, <laughs> led the deal along with Odessa U.S. President John Hammer. Uh, shares of the Carvana of Carvana rose 0.6% in pre-market trades. The stock is down 83% so far. Damn, on 83% in 2022 compared to 25% drop on the Nasdaq. Now here, okay, so I have two questions. One, Carvana is a used car company. And from what I understand, the used car market is exploding right now, and prices are really high on used cars. Automobiles and houses right now are, from what I understand, doing very well, and there's a car shortage. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering what, why that drop is so low. 83% in 2022 is, I mean, they basically flatlined to zero. Um, two, I, I just wonder how they justify making a $2.2 billion purchase to their board when the prices are so low. And then I wonder how, who thought it was a good idea for the optics of the company to let go of those almost 3,000 employees and then buy a $2 billion acquisition on like the same week. It just seems, I understand that move from a corporate perspective, but you think you'd space it out. <laughs> so I just wonder about that. So what do you guys think? I mean, I don't have much more of an opinion on it besides the fact that it's pretty obvious what they're doing. They're, they're reshuffling around. They've lost a good bit of money. They're laying people off. They're seeing that maybe during the pandemic, they didn't need as many people as they thought they needed. Uh, they're going to save a, a fuck ton on different, all different things, you know, from salaries to benefits to training to all this different stuff. And they're re reallocating their money to double down on another investment, which, you know, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to talk about inflation later this, this week. And I have a whole little mini episode on inflation I want to record for you guys, but essentially they're just buying when there's blood in the streets. That's what I think the Warren Buffett quote, something like, you know, when everyone else is sure, be unsure. When everyone else is unsure, be very sure. It's like when everyone else is scared, be confident. When everyone else is confident, be fearful. And that happens a lot in the market. You see people um, get really, really nervous. They sell everything off. And then really what happens is the poor in the middle class either didn't have anything or they sold everything to continue to create cash. And the wealthy buy all those assets are going onto the market at that time and take more of the asset pie. And then the asset prices raise, increasing their wealth and proportionately decreasing the, the wealth of the poor middle class. That's a different conversation, but it seems like that's what's happening 
uh, on a different scale with the business uh, that's happening here with Carvana and them restructuring things. So on to the next news bit. Okay, a couple really, really good ones here. Okay, so the first thing is um, I'm seeing here that the European Union, the EU, is moving forward in an antitrust case against Apple. And this is coming from AP News. It's actually pretty interesting because for a while, I've been wondering if there was ever going to be some sort of antitrust suit brought against Apple in the U.S. Apple, Google, I mean, in the 90s, we saw Microsoft uh, get some some heat for antitrust and they tried to break it up. And I guess maybe legally they did, but not practically. Um, so Apple has built you know, what the EU is saying, a closed ecosystem around its devices and its operating system. And the European Union, the commission said that Apple Pay is by far the largest NFC, which is like, not, not, not to be confused with NFT, but NFC is like the chip that you have in your card or the mobile payment solution. Uh, they say it's the, it's the largest NFC-based mobile wall on the market and they accuse the company of refusing others access to the popular technology. So what they're basically saying is, you know, and this is so interesting too, because these companies are now integrating so seamlessly in our lives that they're they're becoming ways that we view the internet, the devices that we look at the internet on, and the payment portal for which we pay for services and products. And when when a company has that much access to our day-to-day lives via the div- devices that we're using, the data that we're sharing, and the payments that we're making, it allows them to set up a very tightly closed system where one, the consumer, the consumer themselves has to be beholden to that system to a certain extent. Two, the business has a lot more information. Apple has way more consumer information um, than a business that wasn't a data company would have decades ago on their customers. The fact that one company has payment information, uh, personal information, purchase history information, Data, data storage, um, and all these different, you know, communications records. The fact that one company has all that stuff, I think, is what creates the unease with uh, within, at least within the EU. And I always feel like the EU is a little bit more on the side of consumer protection, on the side of consumer freedom over corporate freedoms. Whereas in the U.S., we're based mostly in uh, capitalist policy, corporate policy. Um, we really, truly tend to see corporations as individuals with rights, and I think that that's, in many ways, allowed corporations to overstep their boundaries at a certain point. There's a big, there's a big difference between a small business operating as an LLC or as a corporation that shields the shields the business owners, or even you know, businesses can get relatively large and still be small businesses. But when you have these conglomerates that are billion and trillion dollar businesses, and they're completely shielded by um, by their business structure, that's when I think antitrust laws become uh, become important. And just reading over the uh, over the over the AP article, it says, "Quote here: The commission didn't say how big the fines could be if the charges against Apple were ultimately upheld." Apple responded in a statement that it will continue to it will, quote continue to engage with the commission to ensure European Union or European consumers have access to the payment option of their choice in a safe and secure environment. The commission said the practice quote has an exclusionary effect on competitors and leads to less innovation and less choice for consumers for mobile wallets on iPhones. It said it sent a statement of objections to Apple over its practices, formal step in its investigation into suspected violations of EU antitrust rules. So a couple things here. One. I think that just like with a detective working on a case or the police officers working on a case, you can't always get the the perp 
on the case that you really want to get them on. If you're trying to get, you know, Al Capone or something on racketeering, you have to get them on like mail fraud or, you know, or a traffic ticket first to be able to bring them in. And then you try them on other stuff, hopefully. And I kind of feel like that's what the EU is doing with this potentially fining Apple and, and, and just messing with them around this, this Apple Pay stuff. Because it's not, that's just one thread of the entire problem with some of these companies. And earlier in the show, just earlier in the episode track of the show, we talked about why Web3 is an important part of the evolution of the internet. Partially because I don't believe that that um, decentralization is the solution to everything online and that everything should be decentralized. But I do see the problems with centralization as they are. And although I also have my issues with governments, I think that one place where a government can help us is to look at these antitrust laws and break them up. Uh, break up the, the monopolies that are really taking a hold. One, because of the consumer issues, which you talked about, and which, you know, Web3 has an application towards, but also from the competition standard, you know, it it's not, I think that capitalism, you know, obviously we're talking about Europe here, which isn't as capitalistic as the US, but capitalism does have its benefits. And there are arguments to be made that it's the best system we've found so far, but late stage capitalism, overgrown capitalism is like a garden with way too many weeds in it. And I think that, it's gotten to the point where when you squeeze competitors out, you create a system that's not healthy anymore, but that uh, actually reduces the amount of innovation that can happen. It reduces the amount of um, variety. It reduces the ability for true competitiveness in the market. It's not really a true free market anymore. You know, can you really say that it's a free market if Google, for instance, owns you know eighty percent of the traffic that's going to and from different devices? It's there's no way to get a foothold really on them because they're too deeply ingrained. So it's just something I think about a lot. And this is one way that the EU will try to pry their way in through this through this Apple Pay thing. I think Apple Pay is similar to what Facebook is also trying to do with Facebook Marketplace. And Facebook is also using different solutions to try to accept payments. They, they were working on developing a crypto of their own called Libra because these tech companies want to intersect with your lives at multiple different points. They want to have access to your data. They want to be a communication channel. They want to uh, have access to your your you know documents, and they also want to uh, help you make transactions with your money. And hey, who knows? At some point, there might be a Google Google bank account or a Google or or Facebook bank. You know, they wouldn't call it that probably, but they'd call it something similar. I mean, you look at PayPal. PayPal is essentially acting as a bank in many ways. So anyway, just thoughts on what's happening with uh, in the, in the in the EU. I I severely doubt that there will be any serious antitrust um, pursuit of Apple or Facebook in the near future in the U.S. because the government has their hands full with a whole bunch of other stuff. Okay, on to the next one. Okay, so just checking in with the whole Elon Musk Twitter situation. I mean, there's nothing really super new to report, um, but Musk is saying that there could be a slight cost for some users. So this is coming out of NDTV. Elon Musk said... Uh, that Twitter Inc. will be always free for casual users, but may charge a slight fee for commercial and government users. Uh, as the billionaire entrepreneur tries to boost the social media platform's reach from niche to most Americans, quote, Twitter will always be free for casual users, but maybe a slight cost for commercial government users. Oh, that's literally exactly what they said. Um, Twitter, declined to uh, Twitter declined to comment when contacted by Reuters. So this is actually coming from ND through Reuters. Tesla chief Musk has been suggesting a raft of, of changes to Twitter since last month. After adding the company to his cart recently, that's so funny. After adding the company to his cart, it's like checking out. It's like I added some groceries to my cart and I bought Twitter. Um, 
Musk said he wanted to enhance the platform with new features, make, make the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeat spam bots, and authenticate all humans. Last month, even before reaching a deal with Twitter, Musk has suggested a few changes uh, to the Twitter Blue Premium subscription service, including slashing its price. Earlier this week, at the Met Gala in, the New York on, in New York on Monday, Musk also said he would make Twitter transparent about how tweets are promoted or demoted and wanted its software to be publicly available for critique. That's interesting. I think that's a very smart idea. And I, look, I've talked openly on this podcast about the fact that I think it, it's a little bit just, just, like with a, just like with a monopoly and antitrust stuff. Elon Musk himself is a monopoly to a certain extent. He has so much power and so much influence that he can do what he wants mostly unchecked. And we see him as a good guy now. Do we... How how convicted are we of that uh, that that you know assumption that assertion and also just notice how people's position in the social graces changes you know and how you feel about him now might not be how you feel about him in ten years and do you want someone having that much uh, control then again you know lots of people have um, control in a very non transparent way and we don't have a choice so at least if Musk is going to be using Twitter as, you know, or, or, or owning Twitter, adding Twitter to his cart, as they say. I like the idea of transparent algorithms. I like the idea of defeating the spam bots. I like the idea of making it more user-friendly. And I really think that there's a lot of room for improvement on social media. I think social media is such an incredible, um, an incredible way of using the internet. And it's just become oversaturated, slightly toxic, pretty toxic. And I think we didn't anticipate the fire hose of information and availability of content when we were developing the internet or when we were adopting it. But now it's kind of gotten to a point where it's a little out of control. It feels a little bit icky sometimes. And I would love to have a, a simpler, more streamlined social experience. But I think it's just going to be a yes and. I find myself spending less time on Instagram than I used to, less time on, I almost never log into Facebook. And um, and I would like if Twitter was, uh, I guess, Given some, given some improvements on the obvious deficiencies that some of the other platforms have. And honestly, just increasing organic reach of our content. I feel that most of the platforms now have monetized so heavily that just posting good content doesn't really get seen anymore. Part of it might be a function of, uh, of just users reaching critical mass. Part of it might be a function of people being generally less engaged in content. But I think a lot of it is based on the monetization way that the ads are created or that they're distributed on, especially content engines like Facebook or Meta, you can say. And Twitter never really got their ads to start working. And I don't think they were ever profitable on Twitter with ads. So I even wonder how they actually keep going from year to year. I mean, how does Twitter actually make money? I guess this is a whole different question. And that's why Musk is trying to create some small changes with, you know, corporate and governments paying some money to use the the platform, which is probably a good idea. And honestly, I wouldn't mind if all social platforms had a small fee. And I know that's kind of defeats the purpose of some of it, but I think it would immediately weed out a ton of trash because most of the people who go on there to trash, I shouldn't say most, but I bet many of them would not pay. Now that means for me as a, as a creator that I would probably lose a lot of people watching but one could say that the people who are paying are much more engaged in being there. And if you're paying for an app, you're going to use it more. So there could be a, a lot of um, room for engagement there. But they'll probably never do that. So anyway, looking forward to hearing what Musk has next. And on to the next piece of the news. Okay, so last piece today, and it's actually um, bridging from a video I just watched recently. 
but this is coming out of News Scientist. And basically, the headline here says, Virtual Reality Mask Adds Realism by Making It Harder to Breathe. And I'm looking at the picture here. Again, I'll put this in the show notes. This guy has on an Oculus head mask, a what looks like a breathalyzer on one side of him, and uh, what looks like a, a hard drive on the other side of his mouth. So he looks crazy. I hope. I think this is just a test or, or a, a beta, a prototype. I don't think anyone would ever wear this. But what? So I'll read the article. A mask that com- controls how much air you can breathe could be used to simulate environments with a restricted air supply in virtual reality. Uh, there have been previous attempts at using the breath to interact with VR and, and involving devices such as microphones and stretchable chest bands, but they've been prone to misinterpreting movements and can't accurately record airflow. Um, so for more precise measurements, Marcus uh, Tatskern at the Salzburg University of Applied Sciences, it's called, oh great, this is one of those articles where it says continue reading. Great, I'm, not gonna, I'm just going to tell you what it says in the picture. This is so interesting. And, and it bridges off what I was saying, uh, what, I, what I saw earlier. So this is a guy in the picture who's wearing multiple devices to simulate um, breath contraction or, or chest contraction and breath control. So for instance, if you're doing a fitness, um, well, I guess fitness, you'd already be out of breath. Let's say, let's say you're doing a Mount Everest simulation where the air quality is different. That would be an example of using the air flow to mimic the conditions in a VR environment. Why I think this is particularly interesting, what it bridges off of is I just watched an interview with, uh, with Tom Bilyeu and Mark Zuckerberg last night, which I think he recorded maybe last week. And uh, Zuckerberg was talking about all the different things that will be the next, you know, stepping stones in Meta. And with Oculus, which they now have the Quest 2, which is the the main device, which is that white headset, they are developing different things to make that experience more and more realistic over time. And you can see that they're also making the technology smaller and more durable, like Facebook just did, or Oculus just did a partnership, or I guess fucking Meta. Meta is the company, Oculus is the product, but Meta did a partnership with um, Ray-Ban, that, and now they have like a, a new smart glass uh, glasses, and they're going to test microphones and cameras and all this different stuff. But what he was also talking about was removing the remotes from your hands. So right now, if you have an Oculus, you have to have these remotes in your hands. But now he's working; they're working on um, on hand recognition and hand sensing. They're also working on developing the the um, the VR AR component where there's eye tracking, so that when you're looking at someone in the AR world or in the in the VR world, you can look them in the eyes directly, and they're their face is being tracked using the camera software so that the face they make in real life is the face that's reflected on their avatar in in the virtual world. So they're working on making the VR experience as if feeling as if you're with somebody. So for instance, when you're on Zoom right now with somebody, you don't actually feel like you're with them. You don't actually feel the experience of being with them in the room. You're just like, I'm looking at you on a flat screen because the flat screen is how we interact, how we interface with the internet now. We think of the internet as a place that we go on a screen but one way of looking at Web3 is just not being on the internet, but being in the internet. So we're, we're with this device, and instead of me being on a Zoom with you in a meeting, I'm in the room with you, and in my peripheral vision, you're sitting next to me, and I can see you there, and I can turn to you and look at you, and then you can look at me, and we can have a conversation. And that bridges the gap, or it's the beginning of bridging that gap. And with all these different technologies, you know, VR, AR, um, AI, all three of those together are what are going to help to create that the next realistic experience in these environments. So this example of this guy, this crazy guy with this mask on, which I'll post in the comments here or in the description, 
this guy with this mask on is just one example of bringing more of that technology in. And I'll also post the interview that Tom did with Mark. Um, the one thing that 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 never really no, I should I should interview Mark because the one thing I think that no one goes hard enough hard enough on him is, and I and I guess look, I understand. They're getting Mark Zuckerberg on their podcast. You're not going to get Mark Zuckerberg on your podcast. So if you do, just ask him the questions that you know he wants to answer. But for the most part, it's like, you know, they want to ask him about the technology and about the softball stuff. Like, what's the pie in the sky? I want to know about the problems. I want to know about the about the stuff that they're that they're that they've been covering up, which Mark is not going to talk about that stuff. I want to know about the stuff that they that they anticipate as being uh, potentially harmful and what they're doing to combat that, because. I like to look at both sides, and I'm generally an optimist about the future, which is why I'm doing the show. But I am, yeah, I'm just becoming more and more wary of technology and the users of the, te- or I'd say the creators of the technology, because I think there's always a bias. On the one hand, I do kind of, in some ways, feel bad for Zuckerberg because I don't think he intended to create all this, but at the same time, now you're the dad, so go be a dad. All right. Uh, man, I have, I could go on. I have so many of these articles and so many interesting things. Let, let's cap it at that today. Guys, if you want more of this, make sure you're tuning in to not only the, uh, the episodes that we're doing on a weekly basis, a daily basis really, but also the newsletter because I'm putting additional stuff and all the links and everything interesting that we're doing uh, on the show and elsewise in that newsletter. And you can access the newsletter by going to newwaveentrepreneur.com and signing up right there. And you can also, of course, join our discord as soon as you, uh, as soon as you sign up. So I hope that you enjoyed today's episode as much as I enjoyed recording it for you. And uh, make sure you check out powerpacks.life where we just dropped this new audio series that will help you to develop uh, confidence and mastery around your life and your business in just 30 minutes. It's a great listen. It's free. Uh, if you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com or powerpacks.life, they both go the same place. Uh, and you can check out the coupon code that I put on there for you to get the starter pack for free. And of course, uh, check out newwaveentrepreneur.com as well for information on the next new wave dinner experience. Those are all the things we have going on here. Oh, the last thing, of course, make sure you like and subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review on whatever platform you're loving the show on. So that's all I got for you today, guys. The water is warm. The tide is rising. Everyone jump on in. Let's get ready to surf this new wave. Daniel out. Did you know that this isn't a podcast you're listening to? Okay, let me be more clear. This isn't just a podcast you're listening to. See, by listening to this show, you're actually part of the New Wave community. And because of that, I really want to meet you, IRL, in real life. Wouldn't it be nice to spend some time in a beautiful location, maybe a mansion by the sea with a chef-catered dinner, knowledgeable friends who really want to help you, a cello playing in the background, and, you know, an overall great ambiance. Doesn't that sound gorgeous? Well, we just created that at a recent New Wave dinner in LA, and I want you to be part of the next one. See, these dinner experiences are for entrepreneurs, career climbers, and creatives who want to build friendships with each other in real time, in real life, not just spending time chatting on the internet. We want to actually feel each other's presence, and we spend time together uh, 
bring in our business problems, bring in our half-baked ideas, bring in our creative questions. Then over a, a wonderfully catered meal, we work together as a group to help, help each other untie these knots and dial in our focus. And afterwards, we go and relax. We take a dip in a pool. I always go to a place with a pool or a jacuzzi, have some drinks, we do a little bit of partying. And you will leave this experience with connections and brand new ideas and budding relationships. And you might even find your next co-founder or your next investor sitting right next to you. But more importantly, you are going to leave with a jumping off point, some momentum to go into this next phase of your life, this next chapter, uh, some new ideas that you didn't have before, something that's been enhanced that you know you have confidence in. Now you're gonna build that inner momentum. And that's what's so important. And of course, when you're there, I'm also going to bless you with some new wave merch. If you've been looking at my photos, I'm constantly making new merch and new gear just to show the community that, you know, we got something special going here. So make sure you check out the next new wave dinner experience. Now we're doing these all over the country and potentially all over the world. We did our first one in LA. We're going to be doing them in Austin, New York, Miami, and a few other cities. Plus most likely we're going to hit the UK or Europe. So make sure you go to newwaveentrepreneur.com to check out all the dates. We'll have them all listed there. And of course, you can uh, you can sign up. There's going to be about 10 to 12 people per location. So this isn't a massive um, conference. This is a 10 to 12 person event. And that means that it's purposely designed for you to meet people, to engage with them, and to have a whole hell of a lot of fun. So make sure you check out newwaveentrepreneur.com to get all the dates and locations for the next one. I, I believe depending on when you're listening to this, the next one is in Austin this summer and it'll be all over the country. So sign up now.